What's up, you beautiful nerds? Let's learn about food! What's up, guys? Hello and welcome to the very first episode of A Brief History of Food, a podcast dedicated to finding out the weird and wonderful history of all your favorite consumables. I'm your guide, Jeremy O'Connell, and today we're going to be talking about that bubbly, wonderful drink we all know and love. Soda. Sorry, it's not champagne. We'll do that one later, I promise. So let's start from the top. Before soda, or soft drinks which we now know and love as the sugary sweet things they are, were even a thing, there was mineral water. And that was naturally occurring from springs all across the world, and it would be shared and used as kind of this magical medicinal thing that people would drink. Now, as that became more and more popular, soda water started to become a thing. This is also known as club soda, sparkling water, seltzer water, or fizzy water if you are six years old and or Willy Wonka. All of these share the same characteristics of having carbon dioxide gas forced into it and then filtered water forced through that through the magic of science. This is called carbonation and is very, very normal now, but back in the day, it was serious, new, exciting territory. So... Sometimes other people would add junk to it to make it taste closer to naturally occurring spring water, but most of the time it was just straight water and CO2. As far as history is concerned, wines, beers, and champagnes had all had been naturally carbonated by fermentation for centuries upon centuries, but what the world was really missing out on was water with bubbles. So, in 1662, a physician and scientist by the name of Christopher Moret, or Chris to his friends, created sparkling wine by adding sugar during the fermentation process. This was super boring to everyone, though, so almost 100 years later, in 1750, the French chemist Gabriel Francois Venel revisited the idea and was able to make carbonated water for the very first time. Now, around this time as well, two British chemists and physicists by the name of William Brownrigg and Henry Cavendish were also infusing carbon dioxide into water for medical purposes, as a sort of panacea for everyone. The carbonated water boom, pun fully intended, continued, and in 1776, famed chemist Joseph Priestley suspended a bowl of water over a beer vat at a brewery in England. The air caught around the beer was known as fixed air and had been used previously to kill mice because health codes are overrated. Priestley 
found that when the water was taken out, there was carbonation and a pleasant taste, so he began to serve it to his friends since it hadn't killed him yet. Unlike the mice that they were casually killing, since it hadn't been hurting them, he continued to serve it. Now, at the time, just as it is to this day, sodium bicarbonate was being used in both the medical field and in the product of baking powder. After much, much refinement, Priestley began to sell his concoction soda water as it was made by bubbling carbon dioxide through water, which was similar to how soda bicarb was created. In 1772, Priestley published a paper entitled Impregnating Water with Fixed Air and labeled his creation his happiest discovery. The rest, as they say, is history. Well, sort of. After Priestley's discovery and subsequent publishing of his paper, things started to quickly go bonkers. Another Englishman, John Mervyn Newth, improved upon the design of Priestley's and began to sell it to pharmacists across England. Then, a Swedish chemist by the name of Torburn Bergsman invented, sorry Sweden, I didn't mean to offend you, invented an apparatus that allowed imitation mineral water to be mass-produced. Another Swedish chemist, Jons Berzelius, started adding flavors to carbonated water in the late 18th century. This included wine, mulberry, and even cinnamon. So in 1770, a man by the name of Thomas Henry, who was and ran an apothecary from Manchester, began to sell the very first artificial mineral water to the general public for medical purposes. His recipe for Bewley's mephitic julep consists of three drams of fossil alkali to a quart of water, and the manufacturer had to throw in steams of fixed air until all the alkaline taste was destroyed. Then we get to your main man, Johann Jacob Schwepp, who you may know as the man whose name is on every bottle of ginger ale you have ever drunk. He developed a similar process to manufacture carbonated mineral water and founded the Schweppes Company in Geneva in 1783 to sell his carbonated water. He eventually relocated his business to London in 1792 and it soon gained popularity among his newfound patrons, one of which was named Erasmus Darwin. And in 1843, Schweppes commercialized Malvern water at the Hollywell Spring in the Malvern Hills and was appointed the official supplier of carbonated water to the royal family. It wasn't long after Schweppes became the king of soda that flavoring began to be combined with carbonated water. The earliest known reference to carbonated soda or soft drinks as we now know today was ginger beer in a practical treaty on brewing published in 1809. The drinking of natural or artificial mineral water was considered at the time to be an extremely healthy practice and was even promoted by advocates of temperance. 
By the way, the temperance movement, for those of you that aren't in the know, is a social movement against the consumption of alcoholic beverage. Temperance movements typically criticize alcohol intoxication, promote complete abstinence of drinking, also known as teetotalism, or use its political influence to press the government to make it so that alcohol laws are regulating the availability of alcohol, or even just getting rid of it completely. Just on a personal note, boo temperance. Okay, sorry, back to the show. So all the pharmacists that were buying this mineral water from Thomas Henry and from Jacob Schwepp got a little bored with things and they started to add birch bark, dandelion, sarsaparilla, fruit extracts, and various other substances. Flavorings were specifically being added because at the time the alkali that was being used was extremely bitter to the tongue, so anything that could sweeten it and lessen that taste was encouraged by pretty much everyone who was consuming it. Soft drinks quickly began to pop off and become increasingly more popular and outgrow their medical use after industrialization of soda-making machines made it cheap and widely consumable by the thirsty, thirsty masses. By 1840, there were over 50 soft drinks being made around the world. Then, in 1851, Schweppes got his big break. The Great Exhibition, or what we now call the World's Fair, was being held at the Crystal Palace in Hyde Park, London. Schweppes was designated the official beverage supplier, and from opening to close, sold more than a million bottles of seltzer, ginger beer, and lemonade, thus making him the household name we know and love when we have upset stomachs today. Right around this time, mixed alcoholic drinks were becoming more and more popular, especially amongst British officials stationed in South Asia and Africa. Tonic water, before it was what we now know as tonic water, was literally just quinine dropped in water to help fight malaria. It tasted terrible. Quinine, like most things healthy for you, is just disgusting by itself. It was generally provided in a salt form, and you can actually still buy it commercially in tablets under the name Qualiquin, if you were curious. The soldiers, thus, began to mix it with soda and sugar so that it was not as terrible to drink, and the tonic water you now know and love today was born. They also added gin, a lot of gin, pretty much all the time, giving rise to the gin and tonic. Quinine is also in Snapple, Urnbrew, San Pellegrino, Brio, Canada Dry, and pretty much any soda with a slightly bitter taste, just if you were... Period. One of the biggest issues that surrounded the soft drink industry at this time was the complete lack of bottles that could properly hold the soda without leaking carbonation, or even worse, exploding from having too much carbonation. So, in 1870, the English engineer Hiram Codd devised a bottling machine that enclosed a small marble and washer in the neck while the bottles are then filled upside down, causing the gas in the bottle to push against the marble and seal in carbonation. This style of bottle is now considered extremely rare, as children would smash the bottles to get the marble, and an original bottle can actually get you over $200 in auction. Recently, on eBay, one was even sold for $235, so check your addicts and go to Antiques Roadshow. 
you can still see this bottle design being used in modern times as well, with the Japanese soda Ramune, I believe that's how it's pronounced, or the Indian drink Banta, a clear example of this pinched neck bottle. As an aside, the bottles will explode violently if dropped hard enough, so try not to do that. In 1892, the Crown Cork bottle seal was patented and became the first bottle top to successfully keep carbonation in. Then, in 1899, the first patent for glass blowing machines for soda bottles turns up. This allowed for hand-blown glass bottles to be a thing of the past and production to increase to 58,000 bottles a day. soda fountains were initially way more popular, and many Americans would frequent the soda fountain as a place to get information, to gossip, and to meet friends. Beginning in 1806, the Yale University professor Benjamin Silman sold soda water out of New Haven, Connecticut using a nooth apparatus to produce his waters. Remember that guy we talked about earlier? Businessmen in Philadelphia and New York City also began selling soda water in the 1830s, and in 1845, John Matthews of New York City and John Lippincott of Philadelphia began manufacturing soda fountains. They were both extremely successful and built large factories for fabricating fountains. Due to problems in the U.S. glass industry, bottled drinks remained a small portion of the market throughout much of the 19th century, thus justifying the use of these soda fountain shops. However, they were known in England, the Tenant of Wildfell Hall, published in 1848, talks about a guy named Huntingdon who's recovering from a bender and just downs a bottle of soda water because apparently it helps his head feel better. So here's where things get kinda nuts. The history of soda, and what we now call soda, is very dubious. There has been a lot of infighting and a lot of questions about who came up with the very first soda, and at the end of the day, there's really not a correct answer. Generally speaking, most people say Dr. Pepper because at the time it was first served at the 1885 Louisiana Purchase Exposition, which was a full year before Coca-Cola was introduced to the market. That would make it essentially the oldest soda still available in the world. However, there is a ginger ale by the name of Verner's, and this is where things get a little confusing. So, 
So, according to the wonderful, wonderful research of J. Kenji Lopez Alt, who's a writer for Serious Eats, he also has an incredible book called The Food Lab, please just read it. It was at one of these drugstores in Detroit that James Verner first developed the recipe for his ginger ale in an attempt to duplicate the flavor of ginger ale from Ireland that had been in production since the early 1860s. He came up with a pretty okay formula, but then was called off to join the Civil War, and his syrup lay dormant for a full four years. When he returned in 1865, he found that not only was his syrup still palatable, but it had in fact improved with aging, making its flavors more subtle and mellowing the intense ginger. Thus, Werner's Golden Ginger Ale was born. So, 1865, the oldest soft drink ever recorded, right? Sort of. The company would really like you to believe that. However, there is some serious uncertainty about this. Moving on, Lopez-Alt goes into detail. A trademark for Werner's wasn't even applied for until 1911, at which time James Werner claimed that the ginger ale entered commerce in 1880, not 1865. That said, 1880 is still a good five years before Dr. Pepper entered the soft drink market, so Werner's is still known as the oldest drink ever. Right? No. All claims of oak barrel aging were dropped from the cans when it officially moved from glass to aluminum. It seems what happened is that the new Werner's is nothing like the old Werner's. And since it's changed, it technically cannot be considered the original soda. Therefore, its argument as the oldest soda becomes null and void. So, where does that leave us? It leaves us with Dr. Pepper returning back to being the king. 1885 is the first time Dr. Pepper was served, and it was introduced nationally in the United States in 1904 at the Louisiana Purchase Exposition as a new kind of soda pop made with 23 flavors. Its introduction in 1885 preceded the introduction of Coca-Cola by one year. The title goes to Dr. Pepper. Now for some fun history facts about Coca-Cola. In the late 19th century, soft drinks were finally, seriously blowing up, with Coca-Cola showing up around 1886, although Colonel John Pemberton, the creator of the beverage, was potentially working on prototypes as early as 1883. They were used as a substitute for him to help wean him off of a gnarly, gnarly morphine addiction. Yes, that is correct. The creator of Coca-Cola was a drug addict. To be fair, he was severely wounded during the Civil War, which is why he became addicted to morphine, so it stands to reason that honestly we shouldn't judge him that much. Moving on. Other fun facts about soda. Did you know that Fanta came from Nazis? It's true! When trade embargoes against Nazi Germany separated Coca-Cola Deutschland from headquarters in Atlanta, the ingredients to produce Coke completely dissolved. German-born Max Keith, in charge of operations, developed a soda that could be made with the limited ingredients they had at their disposal. The result was Fanta, a play on the German word fantasy. It was made with odds and ends, beet sugar, orange juice, leftover apple fiber, even whey byproducts from cheese production, because that's just super delicious. And the recipe has 
obviously since been updated, the original would probably taste something like laundry water. It's noteworthy to add that despite governmental pressures, Keith never joined the Nazi party and remained loyal to Coca-Cola. When the war ended, he handed back control of his operations to headquarters. Now let's talk about a soda fight, aka the beef between Dr. Pepper and Coca-Cola. In 1951, Dr. Pepper sued the Coca-Cola company for $750,000, asserting that nickel Coca-Colas were sold below cost and were a restraint of trade. Their beef continued into 1972 when Dr. Pepper sued the Coca-Cola company for trademark infringement based on a soft drink marketed by Coca-Cola called Peppo. They tried naming it Dr. Pib to get around the whole issue of Dr. Pepper, but that was also determined to violate the trademark, shockingly enough. Eventually, the soft drink was later renamed Mr. Pib, which is now ubiquitous as a cheap substitute for Dr. Pepper. Now you might be saying to yourself, but what about other fun soda facts that I don't know? Well. Here are some other cool ones. There is flame retardant in the Mountain Dew that you drink. Yup. That soda that doesn't look like any color that exists on Earth won't keep your insides fireproof, but it does contain brominated vegetable oil, which is a patented flame retardant for plastics that's been banned in Europe and Japan. BVO, which acts as an emulsifier in citrus-flavored soda drinks, is found in about 10% of sodas sold in the U.S. There's also the fun little tidbit of dietetic Dr. Pepper. It was introduced in 1962 as cans and 1963 as bottles. Sales were tragic due to the public misconception that the drink was for diabetics. And, in 1966, the company renamed the product Sugar-Free Dr. Pepper so as to not confuse anyone. The name was then changed to Diet Dr. Pepper in 1987. In 1991, Diet Dr. Pepper was reformulated to use aspartame, according to Cadbury Schweppes. Other fun soda facts. Crushed grapefruit doesn't actually have any grapefruit in it. Another fun one? Lithium citrate is a mood-stabilizing drug used to treat depression and bipolar disorder. It's sold under trade name Litorex and Demolite, and today it requires a prescription. But years ago, it was a common ingredient in many beverages, including 7-Up. It's interesting to note that no one really knows where that name came from, and 7-Up actually contained lithium until 1948. Are you Jewish? Is it Passover? Do you want some soda? Bummer! Ashkenaz Jews, those from Eastern Europe, are forbidden from eating corn, beans, and rice during Passover time. Because Coca-Cola is sweetened with high fructose corn syrup, it is not considered kosher. However, saying the marketing opportunity that it was, Coke, produced in March and April to coincide with the Passover season, is sweetened with pure cane sugar and can be identified by a yellow cap. Many non-Jewish people also enjoy the subtle change in flavor, and during the short period of time it is available, it is stockpiled like crazy. Last couple quick facts. Mountain Dew was originally made with whiskey. Coca-Cola would be green if the dye wasn't added to it. 
Coca-Cola Black was made from 2007 to 2009 and was a mixture of coffee and Coca-Cola and failed spectacularly, similar to New Coke in 1985 that lasted all of one year. Some other sodas that turned out to be critical failures include, but are not limited to, Hubba Bubba Soda, which was a bubblegum flavored soda that lasted from 1987 to 1987. New Coke, which we talked about previously, was sold in foreign markets for another two years as Coke 2 until it was shut down, ostensibly by the soda police. Jones Soda, which are known for making very wacky flavored sodas, had an entire line of Thanksgiving-based sodas, including green bean casserole and turkey. There was also Josta, from 1995 to 1999. Rest in peace. God love that guarana flavored stuff. And a few other ones that honestly are not worth mentioning. Nowadays, soda is a multi-billion dollar industry that ranges from wasabi flavored sodas all the way to the Pepsi that you drink on a daily basis. Shockingly enough though, Argentina is the number one soda drinker as of 2017. The palate of Argentinians tops the chart at 155 liters per capita, and the soft drinks are mostly in demand amongst the people there because of higher incomes and warm climate conditions. The U.S. got silver medal second place with 154 liters per capita, and then we continue into Latin America with Chile and Mexico and Uruguay. And it isn't until number six that we hit Belgium at 109 liters per capita. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, and non-binary people. That is the history of soda in a rough nutshell. Tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell the drunk people at the bar that don't believe you to listen to this. I promise it's worth it. Thank you so much for listening. After this brief outro, we will have all of our sources cited so that if you ever have people go bullshit, you can say, well, here, read this. My name is Jeremy O'Connell. Thank you so much for listening to A Brief History of Food. cite your sources here you go guys this is what you've been waiting for when you've been listening to this and going that doesn't seem real i'll bet you he just found that off the internet well yeah i did but you know what the internet's there for a reason so carbonated water was on wikipedia as was soft drink as was quinine however there was also quinine an anti-malarial drug in a modern world written by jane atchen ambrose o talasuna and umberta dalisandro 
Soda Fountain Volume 4 from 1904 allowed for us to really get a better idea of what people were drinking along that time. EatThis.com had the 32 best sodas. ListFirst.com had the 10 fascinating facts about soda that went back to the Center for Disease Control website and the National Health Organization backslash obesity, sugar, soda, and your children. There was also Serious Eats slash soda by J. Kenji Lopez-Alt. And that looks like it's about it. So there you go. is her footfall by air the breakbot remix beef in box by architecture in helsinki jay holiday the double plus good remix by breakfast mountain setting sun by bobby birdman and tuxedo by christoph anderson